0: This week has been an extraordinary week and an extraordinarily challenging week. And I tell you that when, <laughs> when victory comes, there always seems to be this increase of challenge as well. That when there's an amazing breakthrough, it almost seems like there's an equal, if not greater, level of pushback. And I've heard preachers and leaders say, hey, we shouldn't talk about that. We should just pretend that, well, not pretend that it's not there, but just speak as if it's not there because our God is greater. And that's true. God is greater than the pushback. God is greater than, than the challenge that lays before us. But if we don't address it and if we don't actually see that it's there before us and we keep running from it, then we can never actually deal with the issue that's before us. And the things that we've been pushed back on this week, the challenges have been incredibly challenging to me, incredibly challenging to, to my leadership and how I feel God calling me. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you get a big W and you think, yes, Lord, I'm right where I'm meant to be. And then you get a big L and you think to yourself, Lord, get me out. And I'm sharing this in vulnerably because it's helpful to know that but you guys know that all of us, as followers of Christ, go through this. And all through the Bible, you can see time and time and time and time and time again. Triumphs and, and victories and losses and valleys. Now, verse that says, Lord, when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, not if, not one time, not maybe. Like Paul, he preps us in Philippians and he says, When you suffer, when you suffer. He's not saying if you're a Christian, so you're never going to, so don't worry about this. This is for the non-Christians. That's not what he says. He says you, followers of Christ, believers of the Most High, when you suffer. And can I tell you that we have friends right now in Sri Lanka who are suffering. We have friends in India who are suffering. And when I was talking to one of my friends this week, who's going through a mammoth mountain, I felt like my problems were so insignificant and that his faith in God was so much greater than mine because he's standing strong. The smallest of his problems is that he can't drive anywhere because he has to wait 25 hours to get petrol to put in his car because that's what's happening in the nation. That's the smallest of his issues. 25 hours in a line. And I said, are you going to line up? He says, I have to. I need petrol to go and visit another friend of ours who's very ill. 25 hours he stands in a line to wait for petrol. And you know, when I was speaking to him, we were in the midst of a, of a challenge and I just felt, I just said to God, Lord, why does my mountain still feel so significant when I, but when I measure it to his mountain, it's so insignificant? Because God is challenging us as a people. He's he's calling us. He's calling you individually as he calls us corporately. Your mountain is not insignificant. But if you treat it like it's the only mountain in the world, it doesn't help you. It only hurts you. When you start to understand that other people are walking through pain and suffering, other people are, are using their issue to draw them closer to God, that is encouraging to us. It starts to actually build us up. And it leads into what I want to speak about this morning in Psalm 68.6. It says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I was talking to a good friend of mine. I think he would be okay with me sharing the story, but... He's going through a a, a massive struggle. And he said to me, My family, he, he leads a church in another nation. He said, My family is asking me, why don't I just leave and come home? And he said to me, I've I've thought about that. I can just pack up. I don't have to be here. And he said, But as I started to think through that and process it in my mind to just go home, he said, These people have to stay here. This is their home, this is their land. And God has called me as an ambassador into their land to help pull them out. Not out of their land, but out of the mess that they're in. He says, If I go home, if I go home, I go to nothing, because God's not called me home, He's called me here. And what that what he's saying in that, which I didn't click until just now during worship, is that he's saying that if I leave I become a, a rebel, I be, become rebellious. And what I have waiting for me at home is a sun scorched land, nothing. But he says, but God has put me here in this place. And because I'm in this place, he puts me in a family. Because I'm in this place, he leads out prisoners with singing with joy in their heart. That's what happens when we set our heart on God. That's what happens when we actually come to a place to say, Lord, I'm here because you called me here. Regardless of how hard it gets, if I go to something else, I go to a sun-scorched land. But there is promise in this land. When the Israelites went to the land of promise, what did they go through? The land of giants. Came out of the valley of Shittim into the land of giants. Just good after good after good. Increase after increase. Yet they didn't. They went through challenge after challenge. So I want to preach this morning on a, on a word that I've shared before. A word that I've shared before in this house. And I want to mix it with a, with a verse that keeps coming up. And in mind, when I started writing this, I was thinking about where God's leading us as a community, a building what he's calling us into. That's what, my, what I was thinking while I was writing. And the last two days have just revealed that maybe there's, there's even a deeper meaning in this. But I've entitled this Acts Fellowship. And I want to talk about the difference between a restaurant and a family. Because we live in a world right now that's driven by a consumer culture. I've spoken about this many a time. I'm not the first person. Many leaders are speaking about this. Many writers are speaking about consumer culture. That we go from thing to thing, from item to item, regardless of what it is. From house to house, one moment you get a new house, it's fun and exciting. Two years later, it's no longer fun and exciting. The things that were great to start with are no longer great. So you start looking for the next one. We go from job to job. We move in the first six months, it's the best job in the world. The next six months, you've got the worst boss in the world. In six months, he went from, I've never had a boss like this, to he's the worst person in the world, right? Because in our world, we are created to operate against this, but we have learnt through a culture to operate all the time in this consumer world. Most of us get a phone once a year. Most of us. Some of us, some of you oldies looking at me like, hey, I've had a phone, new phone for, dead. when was the last time you got a new phone? Long time ago. John, when was the last time you got a new phone? Two years. Maybe I'm wrong. 24-month plan. There we go. Get on a 24-month plan. When you go up a a plan, your phone's not really broken though, is it? The kids would love it. Oh, I get a new one so the kids can have my old one, right? But we are in this place where rather than my dad always carries on because my dad likes to fix things. And my take on it is just get a new one. Just toss that out, get a new one. But dad, no, we can fix it. Like, yeah, but then it's got glue and tape on it when I can just go buy a new one and it's ready to go, right? We live in this place where it's new after new after new. And it got me thinking and I, after I was listening to a sermon quite a while ago by uh, Banning Leapshear, No? What's that guy's name? Maybe. Somebody else. But it brought this it brought this I'll get his name, I can't remember what it was. But it brought this challenge onto me where we live in a place where in a world where we want the next thing and the next thing. And it got me thinking about a, a a restaurant, right? When we go into a restaurant, think of your favorite restaurant, you go in and everything from the moment you step through the door is looked after for you. Someone greets you at the door, they say, Yep, if you've got a jacket on, they'll take your jacket or if you're not in that fancy a restaurant, you put your, they put your jacket over your chair, but they walk you to your chair, they pull your chair out for you, you sit down, and from the moment you sit down, you don't have to think about anything. right? They will check in on you, they'll come and see you, do you need anything, have you got everything, where are the toilets, would you like me to show you? Everything that happens in that restaurant, everything is looked after. You feel a little bit special inside, right? you feel like you're, like you're cared for, like that waiter or waitress, really has your heart and mind. And then you order your food, and your food comes out, and if you're a steak person like I am, and you're very particular about how your steak's cooked, you order your steak, you tell them how you want it cooked, and you have this expectation, even though you're not a chef, you have this expectation of perfect how it's to look, right? I want my steak medium rare, but... My medium rare, not your medium rare, Mr. Chef. I will tell you what medium rare is. Right? The steak comes out and it's not to my my liking. I don't like the steak. I don't like how it's been cooked. I don't like what's been put together. Now, for me, there's two people who deal with this situation. Right? We've got the ones who will eat that steak begrudgingly. They'll dislike it. They'll tell their table about how crap it is, quietly. They'll eat their steak, and then when the waiter comes to, or the waitress comes to get their plate, and they'll say the inevitable question, how was everything? We'll go, it's great, thanks. They'll take the plate, we'll stand up, and we'll never, ever go back to that restaurant. We'll tell all our friends quietly how crappy it was, and we'll never go back. We won't write a Yelp review or a Google review. We just won't go back. We won't tell the waiter. We won't ask them to fix it quietly. We'll just accept that it wasn't very good, and we'll go to a different restaurant. And then there's, then there's the other people. The other people who will get the waiter to come back. They'll cut their steak open. They'll show them, this is not what I asked for. Please go back and have them recook it. The waiter will go back, tell the chef, they'll bring out a new steak. Then they'll come up with a new complaint when the waiter brings back the new meal. Please go back and fix this. Then when they finally do fix it, even though there's no way in the world they can now fix that person's attitude because they're upset about it, they'll ask for a free something can we get a free round of drinks because my steak was bad? Can we get some money off our meal? Or can we get a voucher for when we come back? And then when they leave, they will leave a scathing Google review and everyone will know how badly their steak was cooked. Does that resonate with anyone? Do so you want to have one of those friends where you're sitting there and you're like, bro, just let it go. It's a steak, right? I'm the first one. I'm just eat my steak begrudgingly. Don't go back, right? And I know some of you, the one, who, the one who's happy to make years, like, yeah, you should complain. Absolutely complain, right? And the first guy's going, no thanks. Just don't make a scene. Let's just, we'll just not come back, right? And then we have the, the understanding in a restaurant that the customer is always right. right. If any of you have ever worked in hospitality, you've heard this from a customer. I'm the customer, so I'm always right. Right, so it seems as if the establishment is designed to look after the customer. So we'll go in, we'll, we'll get our thing. I, don't, I, had a, I was working in retail once and I had a lady bring a brand new item with a sticker that she had peeled, a sales sticker she had peeled off and rubbed on and said to me, I'm always right. I just looked at her dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. And I said, yeah, you can be right, but you don't get that for half price. She just looked at me. Flustered and walked out, right? Because in that world, we feel like we're always right. In that consumer-driven world, we feel like we're always right. But the problem is, is that that restaurant doesn't exist to make you happy. That restaurant exists for one thing and one thing only. To be a well-known restaurant and to make that guy money. But we feel, when we sit in there, no, it is for me because it's, they're making me food. No, they are bound by you being there, so they want you to make you feel good so you stay, but that's not why they're there. They don't walk away feeling, yes, I got John to come to my restaurant and eat. They actually don't care whether John was there or not, or who John was. They just care someone ate to pay their bills and make their restaurant exciting. Does that make sense? In this, the challenge with this is that what we have done is that we have created this into the church. We have made these places like restaurants, we have made these places consumer models where we come to the door and someone greets us. They bring us to our chair. They tell us what we're going to be able to receive in that, in that service. They wait for us to, to be a part of it. And then when we're not happy, if we don't like it, we hop up and leave. We write a review. We tell them that they're not doing a good enough job. And the list goes on. We can align all of these things back to what is actually taking place in the church right now. And I'm not saying this because someone has done this to us. I'm saying this because it's a challenge that we need to actually wrestle out of the church. That we as a people decide, do we want to be a part of it or do we actually want to leave it go? Because what other churches are starting to do and what I'm starting to see across the board is we're starting to put more stuff in to get more patrons through the door. We're starting to up our ante to make it look snazzier and more fun so that more people will come and join our thing. But the challenge is, is in the same way that it is for the restaurant, that, that building doesn't exist for you. You exist for the building. The biggest challenge we have in the church right now is that what we do here on a Sunday morning is supposed to help us as the sons and daughters of God worship him. This building, this setup, the way that we are doing this is supposed to... Help us worship God. The moment it stops doing that, we need to get rid of it. Because it's not about getting us a bigger ministry. You don't exist as a number to make my ministry more successful. right? This ministry exists to help aid us to worship and glorify the King and train and equip to go and make more disciples. See, it's the other way around. It's flipped over. And the way that I saw this was a few years back. I was at Christmas dinner with my With my dad, we were going to my dad's place. And I have four older brothers, an older stepbrother and an older stepsister. And all of them by my stepsister have partners, plus they have kids. So when we get together, there's a minimum of 15 adults and eight kids, one not born yet. But when we get together, there's a horde of us, right? When we get together for a particular reason, like Christmas, dad will ring. Hey, we want to do Christmas. This is the date. Does everyone want to come, right? The reason I go to that Christmas is not because of the meal that my family is going to put on. It's not because of my dad's house. It's not because he has a pool. It's not because of anything else other than because he asked us to gather together with him. But right? the father asks us to come and to be with him. My father says, would you come and gather with us? Would you come and have Christmas with us? And the interesting thing with this is that everybody chips in. Everyone chips in. Someone's making the gravy. Someone's cooking the the pork. Someone's making a salad. Someone's setting the table. And you know, it's funny. Every time we've done this, there's always one brother who doesn't seem to help out enough. And then everyone else is given that one brother curry, right? Making jokes, poking fun. Because when we come to that place, it's not about what we're getting. It's about being together with my father. Right? It's about coming together. And he could say, hey, guys, we can't do it at my place. We're going to do it in the park. We would go. Hey, guys, we, we actually have to do it you know, in prison because I'm in prison. So can we all come and just sit around? Yeah, we'll go. Why? Because it's not the venue. It's not the way we meet. It's that we're there together with my brothers and sisters, with my father. When we start operating in the church as a as a a Christmas dinner and not a restaurant, guess what happens? How many people have left their Christmas lunch and said, I'm not going back, mum's potato bake wasn't up to par. I'm not telling her it it wasn't very good, I'm just not going back. Right? That doesn't happen. Why? Because you helped peel the potatoes. So it's partly your potato bake, and it's partly mum's potato bake. But you also don't just continue to go with a terrible potato bake, you start to chip in. Hey, mum, can I take over this time? I think my potato bake's a little bit better than yours. Don't ever say that to your mum, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Whitney just looks scared for a moment. But the point is is that it becomes my meal as much as it is my family's. Why? Because I'm a part of it. Right? My dad doesn't do all the work. My dad doesn't do all of the things. What takes place is I start to take ownership and I start to get excited. So when I bring my friend, hey, Will, come over to my family dinner, man. My, my, it's just so much fun. And my dad makes this mean, this mean meal. What's the first thing most people ask when they get invited to someone's place for dinner? What can I bring? Right? Because we get to the place where we say, hey, I don't want to come and just take all from you. I want to come and bring something. And you know what's hilarious? When you tell somebody, don't bring anything. They'll still bring something. Like there's this desire ingrained in us to have to bring something to the table. But then when we come to church, when we go to a place and someone says, hey, man, why don't you come check out my my community, check out where I fellowship, and someone goes, yeah, okay, I'll see if it's going to be right for me. Imagine if when I invited Bill to my family dinner, he said to me, yeah, bro, I'll come, but I'll just see if it's right for me. I'll see if the pork's right for me. And then I'm waiting, eagerly anticipating Will's review on my, my dad's not-chef family-cooked pork. Or, hey bro, awesome, loved it, great pork, salad was bangerang, amazing time, had good laughs, your family's great. However, the gravy bit off. Okay? So if you could address the gravy for me, then I'll be able to come and be a part of your family dinner. You see how ridiculous that is? Yet we allow that culture and we take that culture into our our gatherings of people. When we gather together, all of us are extraordinarily different. All of us carry extraordinarily different things. All of us have different um, hobbies and different interests. What I may like, John may not like, or Mal, what Mao likes, I may not like. And that's completely okay because we're not coming together for that reason. We're coming together because the Father has asked us to come together. Because the Father has said, would my children come and, and be with me? Be with each other and be with me. Some of you may be thinking, Ben's about ready to bring out the, um, the serving rosters and lists because we're, we're going to get hustled into some kind of roster. You are. Have you look at the back, uh, no, that's not the point. That's not why, I, why this is so important to me. Because it's really easy, hey, we need toilets cleaned. We need worship leaders. We need people to make coffee. That's what makes the place go. But that's not your service to God. You can't come along and go, I'm on serving this morning, um, so Lord, I'm here to serve you. And then next week, go, I'm not on serving this morning because I'm not on the roster, i.e. I'm not here to serve you. No, every single person in this community is being called to come and serve God. What does that mean? It means that if you're missing from the table, we go, hey, where's, where's Uncle Dad? Why isn't he here? Hey, how come there was no gravy this morning? Uh, for, no, there's no gravy for the meal because Uncle Bill was away and he normally makes the gravy. So we had no one to do that. So now Will won't come back because there's no gravy. I know I'm stretching this analogy a long way, but the idea that we start to understand is that this is not a restaurant. And we're not coming in, please show me my seat, please show me the list of programs that you've got for me to be a part of, please show me the people who will invite me to dinner and the friends that I will now have, and let me be a part of that, please, Mr. Church, sir. Right? The Bible says that we are called to be co-laborers with Christ. We are co-laborers with Christ, not Me, the co-laborer, and I'm a a hanger on -er -er to the co-laboring that's taking place. And I know that this can be a, a, a challenge for us because we go, hey. Some of us are sitting there and going, hey, I serve. I'm here every week. I do the parts. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is a culture that underlines the Christian community where the world looks and goes, what are you guys doing? That guy goes to church because you give him everything. That guy goes to church because he gets to sit and be a part of your program. You're giving him two hours off his kids. The world is looking at us like we've misunderstood this. I think I've told this story from the barrel before, but I'll tell again. I, I had a friend when I was at school, and we were building this brand new big house. and My family was building this. My, my mom and stepdad were building this big house, and we moved into this small house in town as an interim house until our house was built. And all of my brothers, we started to whinge about how small the house was because it was a tiny house, we thought, until I invited a friend of mine over from school who wasn't very wealthy and he came in the door and he was bamboozled. Wow, this house is amazing. This house is huge. You guys have so much stuff. This is so awesome. You have two living rooms. You have a backyard. This is awesome. And I'm standing there thinking to myself, hey, this place, what are you talking about? But from his perspective, everything was, he wanted my family. He wanted to be a part of. How many of you growing up had that one friend that was just at your dinner table all the time? Or maybe you were the friend that was at the dinner table. Classic. Classic stitch up. Look look back there. It's a cousin. But I'll still take it, Marcus. It'll still be you. Where he's going, hey, I want that. I want what you guys have. You guys sit at the dinner table every night. You get a, you get this meal every night. I want what you guys have. That's the way the church is supposed to be portraying ourselves. That's the beauty of the bride. The world should look in and say, "What is that? How do we get that?" I want. I want to be a part of that. What do I have to do, man? Just come. Just come. Hey, I don't care what the gravy tastes like. I don't care what coffee you have. I don't care how many programs you've got. you guys gather like this once a week? No, we gather more than that. People gather in each other's homes. How do I get, what do I do? How do I get into a home? That's the desire the world should be seeing from us. But we have to change the culture. We have to be the people who say, no longer are we going to allow the church to be treated and designed like this. So what do we do? Run out and point the finger? No, it starts right here with us. It starts right here. I'm gonna be at the table. Why? Because we miss you when you're not there. I'm gonna what do you need done, man? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna to wash toilets, I'm gonna to make coffee. Is that my service? No, my service is here to the people. People always say to me, I never know, I never know what to do in a church. You know, it seems like all your teams are filled. Come and be here. Come and sit right here. And when someone needs prayer, pray for them. When someone needs to have your story told, hear them. When someone needs to to understand what's you know, how to navigate their world or just an ear to hear be that one. I was speaking to another church last week and challenging them in a very milder version of this. And I said, you know, we think service to God is being on a roster, but that's the easy part. Right? Andrew was here this morning at eight o'clock. You hear at eight o'clock? You beat me. Quarter past eight. Quarter past eight. Andrew was here this morning to make coffee, to prepare the machine. And there's others who are here regularly all the time. and That's not the point. That's a part of Andrew's service, but that's not his service fully unto the Lord. Because after this, when he starts making coffees and talking with people, he starts to talk and hear the stories and ask, how was your week? What's going on? Can I pray for you? Can I be in the part? That's the service to the Lord. Caring for his family, that's the service to the Lord. We zip in, we clean a toilet and we zip out and we go, I served the Lord. No, you cleaned a toilet and you did a great job and I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. But can you hear my heart? That's not the serving the Lord that I think God's after. And I have to take this on my own understanding because I can stand here and say, Lord, I served you this morning because I preached the word. That's not my service unto the Lord. My service unto the Lord is to Him how I engage with Him, how I engage with His bride, as well as how I engage with Him. This is an act of service, yes. This is a part of what He's asked me to do, as are, there are things in this building that He will ask you to do. But that is a part of our service. That is not our full service to the God. Our service unto God is when we come before Him and say, Lord, You are who You said You are. Let me worship. Does that make sense? I want to I go through... If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts 2 with me. I want to go through this. <laughs> the last thing that I just want to add while you go going to Acts that happens in my family all the time, and I think it's hilarious because I'm sure it happens in your family and it, it needs to start taking place, is that if I was to go into my family Christmas lunch and sit down on a chair and say to Jess, All right, Jess. You have to get me all the stuff I need, like a waiter. Right? You have to zip around if I need a drink, get me a drink, if bring me some snacks. Right? There is no way in the world my brothers would allow that. There would be jokes galore, right? You would be the butt of the jokes. It would be it would just be awful. Right? But there's something that happens in my family, and when you've got that many people gathered together, you kind of like you might want another drink and you're sitting there thinking, Oh, if I stand up to get myself another drink. Everyone else at the table is going to throw the, yes, please, yes, please. And you go to get one, but you actually have to navigate seven and then go back out to the fridge because you can't carry all the yes, pleases, right? That happens for all of us. Right? That's the heart of service. It's not my job to do that. I can stand there and say, well, I'm not getting anyone else but me because I'm standing. No, it's, yeah, Absolutely. And then you get to the place where you actually do it even more where you're like, hey, who wants another drink? Does anyone want any snacks? Yeah, snacks, snacks, snacks. Oh, I'm making four trips now. But you are excited to do that because you're there serving the family. And when someone else goes to get up, you know that you're going to do the same thing. So in this Culture that we live in, where it's thing after thing after thing, we actually have to start to come away from that and start to realize that God is calling us into something bigger. He's asking you to serve the house as the house serves you. So I serve Marcus as Sven serves me. Right? And Marcus serves Timmy as Timmy serves Mark. That's the way that God has designed us in a family. That's God setting the lonely into families. It's not, well, it's that person's job. They do all that. No, it's service unto him. If you're at Acts 2, I'm going to go from 39 to 47. It says this, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. The promise which is unto all the others in your generation and for those who God calls, that they will be saved from this crooked generation. 41. So those who receive his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is the early church, the beginning of the early church. Now, I want to tell you, I've had this verse sent to me many times over the last... 12 to 18 months where we've been looking, God, where are you leading us? Where are you calling us? And I spent a lot of time going over this verse asking God, Lord, what is our context here? What are you revealing to us in this time? What is it that's taking place for us here? And every time just about it's been sent, the, the quote at the end, which has been, again, many times has been, I think we're supposed to be meeting in homes, right? The church as they did in Acts, was supposed to be meeting in homes. Now, the problem with that is that what Luke is writing here in Acts is not a descriptive text. Sorry, it's not a prescriptive text. It's a descriptive text. So it's not prescribing us to do something. Rather, it's describing what's taking place. Does that make sense? It's not prescribing for us to do something. It's describing something that's actually taking place. How do we know that? Because of this. If you said to me, hey, I think this verse is saying that we should meet in homes, right? It's prescribing that. It's also prescribing this, that all of you should sell all your possessions, send the money to the church, and allow us as the leaders to distribute that money. Who's for that? Nobody. Nobody. Not Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, I'll hold the basket out, bring your lands, bring your houses, right? None of us are there. So if we stand on the place that this is prescribing, prescriptive, none of us want that, right? So what we want to do, though, is cherry-plick the thing out of it that would be more exciting for us to be in somebody else's home where I get fed, looked after, warm fire, or the rest of it, and not have to be in an awkward meeting where I have to talk to somebody I may not want to. That's the part we want prescribed, but the rest of it we want to be described, Right? That's why we can't do that. We can't just grab a small part of the verse and say, this is what it's saying. We have to address the whole verse as to what Luke is actually writing for us as a people. However, it does say that they did something in the early church that brought on two things, an increase in number and an increase in depth, power, signs, and wonders. The two things that it says that it brought on as an increase was that they, they, who's they? The people that were in the midst us not the leaders not the ones who were at the front not the guys who were in charge not the disciples the people who had come in us they devoted themselves what to they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching which for us in our context is the word right the apostles teaching the teaching of christ the the message of Jesus, they devoted themselves to that. They also devoted themselves to fellowship, to regularly gathering with the saints. They also devoted themselves to sharing in meals, engaging in friendship, not just pleasantries. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. They devoted themselves to meeting together in each other's homes and discussing the depths of life around a meal, around eating and being in somebody's home. They also devote themselves to prayer. They also devote themselves to generosity. And finally, they also devote themselves to worshipping regularly together. When we start to address this verse in a way that says one without the other, we lose what's actually taking place for us as a people. That when we start to address what's actually being said, where he's saying, devote, devote devote yourself means to give all of myself to become before it where there's nothing else this is what's most important to me and we make that those that list of things i just read which is what he lists off the apostles teaching the fellowship the sharing of meals prayer generosity and worshiping when we bring ourselves it actually brings the verse alive where now i can actually be a part of the early church in what's taking place For a lot of us, we're waiting on the fire of God to just fall on the church and people rush in and the church's full signs, wonders. That's not going to happen. Why? Because if we don't engage, God won't move. It doesn't say they were all standing around waiting and then all of a sudden things got changed. It starts with what? They devoted themselves. They were hungry. They were engaged. They were saying, Lord, I want more of you. They were saying more gathering together, more community, more teaching, more word, more worship, not less. They weren't saying replace one meeting with another. They were saying give us more times together. But well, we don't have it to give, then I'll just go get it. Good, go and get it. Get somebody, read the scripture with them, say, man, we are, why are you doing this? I don't know, I just want to know who the scripture is more. And I think Marcus knows a little bit more than me, so I'm going to go sit with him and just read. Man, I'm praying, why? Because Coco's got a heart of prayer and she just loves it, so I'm just going to sit with her and pray. Man, I, I can't sing to save my life, but Sham was worshipping this morning, so I just asked if I could slot in and just be there with him to worship. That's me devoting myself to the kingdom of God, not dragging myself in not hoping that the programs are going to be good enough not hoping that the things are going to suit my way of doing it but that I'm devoted lord to what I'm devoted to your kingdom come your will be done that's what brought fire in the early church that's what really ignited that's what set ablaze now you can sit here and go well ben I'm already doing that awesome awesome keep going keep going It's not a competition. We're not looking to measure who's doing more and who's doing less. We're saying, as a people, can we come to the table with our Father and give ourselves, devote ourselves to those things? Devote ourselves to, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing in our midst? What are you doing for us? In my breakdown of this, in my breakdown of this verse, which again, I've spent time and time and time again. God, what are you saying to us? What are you doing? I came across the fact that in the list, it says that they devoted themselves to attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. To attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. I believe wholeheartedly that us as a people are meant to meet in each other's homes. If you're not having somebody in your home, have somebody in your home. If you can't cook, try. Cook toast. If you, let, let me explain this to you. If I come to your house for dinner and you invite me in and you've done everything you can to be hospitable toward me and you serve toast for dinner... And baked beans, that's now, toast. baked beans. <laughs> do you know how many issues I have with that? None. Do you know why? Because it's not a restaurant. I'm not there for his food. I'm there to commune with him with the Father. I'm there because the Father asked us to gather together in his name. Would I like lamb shanks? Absolutely. But am I okay with beans? You bet your bottom dollar. Edie can do lamb shanks Louie and Olga can do lamb shanks. No beans. Does that make sense to us? Right. It's not. This is the problem we have right now, is that we are waiting for the church to bring the position of community and fellowship together. But it's not the church's job, in the sense of the the the, the churchianity style of way to do it. I don't like to use that word because I think we can do better with that. But the the, the the organization, it's not the organization's job to ensure that you have fellowship and that you have community and that you have depth and growth in God. That's not the organization's job. It's your job. Why? Because that's what happened in, in the early church. So I asked myself two questions. Sorry, two groups of questions. One is for us as a community. The other is for us individually. The community ones, which I'm asking to, for God to reveal how we do this as we move into a new building in a new era, is, Lord, is our community devoting ourselves to Scripture, both learning and outworking? Is our community offering opportunity and encouragement to the members, supporting them to regularly be gathering with the saints and create meaningful and long-lasting relationships? Is our community gathering together to share our lives with each other and eat meals and engage in deep discussion together? Is our community diligently praying for one another, with one another, and individually? Is our community a generous community, both corporately and individually? And is our community regularly coming together to worship God in spirit and truth? And you can also ask this individually. Am I devoting myself to Scripture, both learning and outworking? Am I regularly gathering with my brothers and sisters to create meaningful and long-lasting relationships? Am I sharing my life with my Christian brothers and sisters, having them around my dining table and engaging with them in deep discussion, allowing them to see my inner world? Am I diligently and regularly praying? Am I generous in all aspects of my life? And am I regularly gathering with my brothers and sisters to worship God in spirit and truth? If you can honestly answer those questions for yourself, You are one of the remnant who is engaging in revival and renewal in the church. If you can honestly look at that list, and not in the sense of a works mentality, but look at that list and go, okay, I'm doing three pretty well, I think. And there's three others. Okay, cool. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm just going to shift my life to get myself where I'm covering the bases. Why? Because I want to be a remnant. I want to be someone who's bringing renewal and revival. I want to be someone who's for the church. I'm not going to wait for Shining Coco to do it. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. I'm just going to get involved. How do I get involved? Do I have to clean more toilets? Maybe. Do I have to mop the floor? Maybe. Do I have to serve on coffee or kids? Maybe. But I know for sure, to be sure, that I have to do these things that they did in the early church. Why? Because it's the best picture we see for the revival fire of God to hit a city and a nation. As a people, if we start to engage in these things, devoting myself to Scripture, regularly gathering with Christian brothers to make meaningful, non-lasting relationships, having meals around my dining table, engaging in deep discussion, allowing them to see my inner world, diligently and regularly praying, generous in all aspects, and regularly gathering my brothers and sisters of worship and spirit and truth. If I'm doing all those things, we will start to see a city and a nation revived. We will start to see a fire sweep through the people. We will start to see this stop being a, a restaurant style, gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy, and we'll start to see the reality of the church outworking in our spheres and our, our worlds. Does that make sense? This is not a discouraging, do better message. I wish I had a better way to explain it, but this is the Nutri-Grain ad. We only get out what we put in. This is if we're willing as a people, whether there's 15 of us or 500 of us, to diligently give ourselves to God, diligently follow those things, to stop complaining and widging and start being a part of the solution, a part of what God's doing, we will start to see a nation rise. Look through the scripture. It doesn't take many. Look how many times it took few. Look how many times it took hearts of the people who were truly in love with God, truly in love giving themselves to say, Lord, what do you have for me? That's what it takes for revival and renewal to hit a people. It takes us, the sons and daughters of God, to engage with him. Does that make sense? Does anyone have any questions? I don't want to ask anything? No? Once, twice, thrice? Let's stand. The reason I make you stand before we praise, and I know you have to re-engage. So hopefully you pray. That's my hope. But let's take a minute. I'm going to put this microphone down, and I am legit going to give us till f- till ten minutes past. If we stand in silence, we stand in silence. If we pray, that would be the hope. We pray. If you would like to pray, if we get excited and we go to our past, great. But if not, we're going to wait. And if you feel the pray, then pray.